Today, vehicles are equipped with advanced onboard computers that collect an extensive amount of personal driver data. Hey Auto and Privacy for Cars have collaborated to bring Canadians the ultimate solution for deleting personal information from their vehicle's onboard computer. Hi everyone and welcome to the April 28, 2023 episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor at Automotive News Canada. Our guest today recently sat down with some Automotive News Canada staff and he talked to ZEV sales mandates and the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act and how those two things affect sales and production in Canada. He also explained why his company isn't all in on electric vehicles. We'll get those thoughts and more when we hear from Vice President and Corporate Secretary of Toyota Canada, Stephen Beatty, on this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Stephen started his conversation with staff by talking about the effect zero emission sales mandates might have on the industry. Well, you know, I think in the long term, everything everything sort of settles out, but uh, but we don't live in the long term. We live in the here and now. And from, from here until 2035, you're going to find manufacturers rushing to try to catch up with, uh, with various mandates, whether they're provincial or federal, or in the case of the U.S., state or federal. The important part about that is that I think consumers have been used to being able to say, well, you know, I want X because it meets my lifestyle or my life stage or needs. That's not the market that we're going to be in. It's going to be one where there are going to be quotas for, um, for vehicles that meet certain technical specifications, and you're going to be able to select from inside that, that quota. So for example, um, you know, from the middle of the decade on in Quebec, if you sell one more internal combustion engine vehicle than your sales ratio requires, there's up to a $20,000 penalty for that. And uh, so as manufacturers, we have to be very mindful of how we're allocating vehicles to the market, what sorts of technologies are there. And, you know, clearly there's not $20,000 in a vehicle to be able to, you know, to make that decision to oversell your, your, your ratio. Probably less of a problem if you're a small company where, you know, you're servicing a niche market. But in our case, we're the largest, you know, volume retailer of uh, vehicles in Canada. We have a very broad product line. And um, I think something that, you know, sometimes doesn't come across is that our market share varies province by province. So if, for example, you are... Um, um, you know, successful in reaching consumers in a province like British Columbia, where there are very strong standards around uh, zero emission vehicles, then you have to allocate product to that marketplace to meet those those regulatory requirements. And then, and it's hard to have a discussion then with somebody who's living in Saskatoon and wants the same vehicle. You have to say, well, you know, we're doing our best to try to level um, supply and give everybody choice. But in a time when you're early in the development of these products and supply chains don't support sort of the rapid scale up of production, you have to make decisions about where you're going to put product in and how to meet those regulatory requirements. So what happens when mandate requirements change on a dime or on a whim? They do, they do happen rapidly. And, and, you know, as I said, in the domestic market, we're finding that decisions are being made inside the five-year normal cycle for product development. So you'll you'll bring product to market thinking that you have one set of rules, one set of market dynamics, and then incentives change, uh, rules change. Um, and that's okay. I mean, we, we can we can adjust to that over time. 
But to your point about being a manufacturer, uh, the reality is that you, you can't manufacture in Canada solely for the Canadian market. You need to do it to uh, primarily support the U.S. market. So in, in our case, we're the largest maker of vehicles in Canada, but over 80% of those vehicles go to the United States. So we're building to regulatory requirements that exist in the U.S. and where, again, uh, things are changing very rapidly and you're having to, you know, to make decisions on the fly about how you balance out. Beyond sales mandates, trade regulations and content requirements are also changing. So how does that affect the industry, particularly in Canada and North America? Stephen explained. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure people have heard about the IRA in the U.S., which is designed to try to bring that whole electric vehicle supply chain back to, uh, back to pre- predominantly to the U.S., but also to Canada. The importance of that is that um, even as the IRA deals with incentives, uh, both for consumers and, and for ma- manufacturers, the trade rules in the USMCA, the free trade agreement, have changed and are much more stringent in terms of local sourcing of, um, of raw materials, of battery components, of all of the other elements of electric powertrain. Now, the problem is that supply chain doesn't really exist in North America. This is, this is why the policy exists, is to build it up. But you're having to make adjustments on the fly to be able to meet standards that are rapidly advancing. And uh, the impact of that is, frankly, we think going to drive up transaction prices on vehicles. Um, it may limit choice in the marketplace as you move forward, at least through to that 2035 period. And, um, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, as a, you know, as a company like Toyota, whose supply chain, of course, for conventional vehicles is, is quite strong here in North America, but for advanced technology that typically starts close to your head, head office and spreads out across the world. Well, that means we're accelerating the pace at which we're bringing uh, suppliers into the North American market. Consumers are used to waiting for the vehicle they want, but these changes seem to suggest those wait times might increase. And while market-driven choice might decrease, are the customers ready for that? Here's what Stephen thinks. As I said, I, I think one of the things that they can count on us to do is to try to mitigate those impacts as much as we possibly can. But the reality of it is that if there are global shortages of, um, of, of certain key materials or parts or whatever else, you're going to experience in a microcosm some of the issues that, that people have experienced through, through COVID as we make those sort of technical changes. Um, the, the issue, I think, is this. Um, our, our market is very diverse, and the needs of people across the country are very diverse. I think it's going to be um, interesting to see what happens, particularly in the kind of urban-rural divide as we as we move through all of these regulatory changes. Certain types of technology work better in certain parts of the country. Um, there's better infrastructure in place. There's cleaner energy. The, the whole host of factors. Um, but I think some of the consumers who are living in places that are underserved are are going to you know, sort of feel the pinch because certain types of products just aren't going to be available to them by, by government regulation. And so, you know, what does that mean? And I, it, it'll be interesting as we get further into the decade uh, to see how, how that impacts uh, consumers. I know one thing about the consumer marketplace, and that is that people aren't going to stop um, using cars. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the choice isn't, um, 
you know, buy a mandated vehicle or walk. It's going to be something else that consumers decide to do, which is either keeping vehicles on the road longer or buying used cars from out of the jurisdiction or doing any number of other things. So, um, you know, that's one of the shifts I see. One of the other ones is, look, even in, in urban areas, maybe the model's shifting from ownership to usership. So we'll watch this as it develops. I think from our standpoint, the, the benefit for Toyota is we have a very broad product lineup and we're able to, to pivot as, as, uh, as need be. Um, but I, I do think we're going through one of those uh, step changes in the industry and uh, that's going to drive changes in consumer expectations. Toyota isn't necessarily all in on EVs. The automaker believes there are a variety of ways to reduce auto emissions. So what is the automaker's plan? Well, I guess a couple of things. I mean, if you look at the federal government's mandate, it never actually gets you to zero emissions because even at the end of their phase-in period, 20% of the t- that total volume is allowed to be plug-in hybrids. And what we've been saying all along is if you focus on greenhouse gas reductions, which is really the, the issue behind combating climate change, then you can drive a lot of different technologies to make that happen, particularly in the short term. And you can do that at a lower cost. And by doing it at a lower cost, you keep options open for, for consumers. For companies that have made the switch to a 100% battery electric model, in some cases, they really had no choice. And, you know, I think of companies that had bet heavily on diesel, for example. When diesel stopped being a, you know, path to the future, then companies had to make a 90-degree you know, turn and, and choose a technology and they've gone all in on, on battery electric. In our case, for as long as I've been with Toyota, we've been bringing hybrid technology to the fore. Uh, but even before that, we really made our name in North America for building small fuel-efficient vehicles. So every at every point, as we've come up against another, you know, environmental or energy issue, we've we've you know, we've addressed it by bringing new technology to the marketplace. So today. We have hybrids, we have plug-in hybrids, we have battery electric vehicles, fuel cell vehicles. We're ready to go with, you know, whichever one of those sort of energy and environmental strategies will, will work best for people. But what it does, um, even with the vehicles that, you know, we've been test driving here today, is it allows you to bring a popularly priced mar- vehicle to market. So, you know, there's no question that you know, somebody can buy a battery electric pickup truck. Does it actually, you know, perform the way that they would expect that truck to perform? Uh, probably not today. But the one thing I can guarantee you is that it's expensive. So how do you get a competitive, low-emission vehicle into their hands? Well, we think you do that by hybridizing and then going with plug-in hybrids and so forth. And secondly, um, you're, you're starting to hear a lot of this from Europe, um, it may be difficult to ever get certain types of products to a point where battery electric makes sense. You might be better off with a liquid fuel. And if you do, there are zero carbon or or net zero carbon liquid fuels available to us, but they're just not currently allowed under uh, under Canadian regulation. So, we're going to develop all of those things. We'll be ready to go if, um, you know, if, if the market demands it and if the regulations allow it. Um, but, you know, our plan as much as possible is to keep a product in every, in every market segment at every price point 
and allow people those, those choices. We'll be right back after this short break. Today, vehicles are equipped with advanced onboard computers that collect an extensive amount of personal driver data from contacts and call logs to text messages and location history. As 36% of automotive cybersecurity incidents are due to privacy or data breaches, it is important that consumers take steps to protect their personal information in order to safeguard their privacy, safety, and reputation. Hey Auto is currently leveraging Privacy for Cars proprietary data deletion solution regarded in the automotive channels as the most simple, efficient, effective, and auditable solution to meet increasingly regulatory requirements and to protect consumers. Hey Auto, a rapidly growing auto marketplace in Canada that utilizes cutting-edge technology to provide a seamless user experience, has partnered with Privacy for Cars, a unique product that allows the automotive industry to easily and securely delete personal information from vehicles. The collaboration offers the Canadian market the ultimate solution for deleting personal information from a vehicle's onboard computer, meeting IoT security best practices and regulatory standards. Privacy for Cars is the first of its kind in the Canadian automotive marketplace, with multiple patents and the only of its kind that focuses on vehicle data privacy at the most intricate level. Adding an extra layer of security, this technology will help dealerships in Canada to deliver the next level of customer satisfaction and security. Welcome back to the podcast where I'm speaking with Vice President and Corporate Secretary of Toyota Canada, Stephen Beatty. So, is Toyota's approach transitionary to an eventual all-electric future, or will there always be a mix of battery electric, hybrids, and more at Toyota? Here's what Stephen sees. Well, you know, here's the deal. Um, I, I think most people know that there is a global shortage of lithium relative to, you know, to, to, to market demand, and that even as we scale up supply, it's you know, we're going to be in that relative short scarcity until uh, maybe 2040, but it's not just lithium. In fact, lithium is one of the better commodities in terms of availability. We're, we're right down to global shortages of things like tin and who would have thought that that would be a problem. But what's happening is we're not only trying to change the types of vehicles we're driving, we're, ch we're changing the energy systems that we're operating, which use many of the same uh, raw materials and and um, and components, and we're trying to make sure that homes, for example, move to renewable energy and so forth. So there's this incredible demand that's being pushed through the eye of a needle. I think you need to have alternatives in place if we're going to be able to succeed at at uh, at hitting carbon reduction targets. So that's one point. And the second part of it is. Certain technologies work better for certain types of applications, and there's just no question in my mind that as vehicles scale up in size, hydrogen's a better option than, than battery electric. So if we're thinking about moving goods long distances and heavy trucks, um, putting massive battery packs in them that take away from the payload capacity of the, of the truck or that you know increase downtime because of lengthy um, charging cycles and so forth, it, that's not the right approach. So those other technologies will exist. They're, they won't be necessarily in direct competition with battery electric, but they'll fill in a segment of the market that's going to be necessary um, in order to you know, maintain the economy, ensure people's lifestyles, and so forth. 
Stephen was asked whether the government is doing a good job at consulting automakers when it comes to developing these green auto policies. Here's his answer. Uh, look, I, I don't want to demean the public policy making process, but the, but the reality is we all try to simplify things, right? And in a um, in a in a in a very complex environment, which is you know how to deal with climate change, the simple solution is well, you know, a battery stores electricity. We've got electricity on the grid, so I can plug it in. So there's my solution. The problem is um, the deeper you dig into it, the more you realize that. Okay, so one of the benefits of being in Canada is that we have great mineral resources. Super. Problem is, those mineral resources are still on the ground, and in many cases, far from the nearest road. So it's going to take time to go through the environmental assessments, to develop those, those, those new mines, to put in the infrastructure to support them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if it takes you 10 years, for example, to bring a new mine on, on stream, uh, what are you doing in the meantime? And I think my answer to that is you use the available resources you have to the best advantage to get the lowest cost solutions into customers' hands that actually start to take down carbon emissions. So that's why I think you have to have all of those other solutions. Now, I, again, I, I don't want to diminish the fact that there are companies who will have a, um, uh, you know, a corporate strategy that allows them to go 100% battery electric because they have that you know, the, the, the sort of scale, the market niche, the customer base that allows for that. But, you know, ours is a company built around Corollas, and they transact at a very different price point from, you know, a, a high-end uh, battery electric vehicle. And we have an obligation, I think, to our customers to make sure that we're continuing to serve them, and that's what we're setting out to do. So how do we get the best product with the lowest emissions into their hands? And, um, you know, that's why you hear us talking about hybrids. But more importantly, if you take something like the new uh, Prius Prime, you know, 72 kilometers of, uh, of all electric range in the, in, in the base car, um, you know, that's really good today. It's something that you don't even need a level two charger to necessarily be able to, you know, bring into your life. But that vehicle, um, under you know sort of the current ZEV mandate, ceases to um, to, to work under that regulation as of about uh, twenty twenty eight. But fundamentally, what it does has not changed. And if you were, for example, to allow for e fuels to be used in Canada, and, and in a nutshell, an e fuel is any fuel produced using electricity. There's a fascinating company at West called uh, Carbon Engineering that does direct air capture of carbon. That carbon pulled out of the air, in other words, carbon that's already been released into the environment, you pull it out of the air, you mix it with green hydrogen, and you, you form long-chain molecules that essentially can be refined the same way that, that uh, oil can. You produce diesel, you can produce gasoline, they're net zero carbon fuels, and they can fuel any vehicle on the road today. So back to my Prius Prime example, today it runs for 72 kilometers on, on electricity off a relatively clean grid, at least in Ontario and Quebec. Tomorrow, it would not only be able to do that, but with e-fuels um, be net zero on the rest of its range when you had to go in longer distances without the, the electricity.
Given how fast technology, battery chemistry, and fuel efficiency improves, does Stephen think ZEV mandates take into account the rapid change? No, I, I think I think they've been built around a certain view of the future, and you know that's that's always a little dangerous in terms of you know the final outcome of them. Um, we, we've always argued that look make. Make make the regulation technology neutral. Set your set your goals, and I have no issue whatsoever with you know aiming for zero emissions in twenty thirty five. But let me pick the technology that I will apply and bring to the marketplace. Because if you let me do that, you know maybe I'm right or maybe I'm wrong. But if I'm right, it gives you better choice. It gives a greater array of product in the market, and you know I think I can do it at at a lower cost. So. That to me is the the benefit of having competition in the marketplace, and, and and by competition I don't mean more brands. I mean the competition of ideas about how to how to address a problem. Does Stephen think making the goals technology neutral, as he says, leads to more success? Here's his answer. Well, absolutely. So let me just go back to my my e fuel example, and I'm not I don't want to overwork that. I don't want want people to believe that it's more advanced than it is today, but um. If, if you look at something which is, um, you know, a global challenge, an urban, uh, an, an urgent crisis that we're having to address, why wouldn't you throw everything at it? And two, when you look at it in Canadian terms, we're having to, you know, substantially increase the infrastructure that we're building, um, whether it's electric power generation, whether it's the advancement on the grid, whether it's charging stations across the country. That is going to be a big challenge for us to, you know, to hit targets given the type of capital investment that's required. Meanwhile, over on the other end of the country, you have an oil and gas industry that already understands pretty well what their infrastructure requirements are. If, you know, if governments are successful in moving traditional oil and gas, you know, out of the economy, um, what you have is a built infrastructure that's ready to accept uh, low carbon fuels. And so you don't have to rebuild that. So all I'm saying is, I think um, if you optimize uh, the technologies you're deploying, if you leverage existing infrastructure, you're much more likely to get to the to the low carbon targets than if you select a single pathway. And finally, how does the redesigned Prius hybrid play in the current marketing lead more people to choosing hybrid and battery electric vehicles in Canada? Stephen explains. Well, ab- absolutely. Look, we've been at it for a very long time now. And I mean, Prius, of course, was the first globally mass-produced um, um, hybrid. And it's taken a long time. And, it, and frankly, every year since it was first introduced, I get a new group of customers who walk through the door going, you know, explain to me how it operates and do I have to plug it in and whatever else. And, and to be, you know, I know it's counterintuitive today when everybody's thinking battery electric. There's some people who don't actually want to have to plug their car in, and so that becomes an obstacle or a barrier to them um, getting into to electric technology. What we're saying is, um, you know, there, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a shortcut I think that consumers can take with a brand that's as well known and relied upon as Prius, and you know the chances are pretty fair that if you've been in a in a taxi anywhere in the country, you've been in a Prius. Um, this this new car is about as far away from a, from a taxi as you can possibly imagine, but 
what it is, is a vehicle that has a reputation for, you know, sort of bulletproof reliability um, and ease of use. And, you know, I think that's important for consumers who are trying to make sense out of a lot of complexity is to know that I can go to a brand, it's going to, it's going to meet my needs and it's going to do it pretty seamlessly. I don't have to worry about it. Um, and incidentally, as we've been moving Prius along and upping the technology and making it, uh, you know, again, just the next progressive edge of the plug-in hybrid, uh, boom, right behind it are a whole bunch of Corollas, which are now coming in various flavors of, uh, of hybrid technology. And again, being able to attach the Corolla name to, um, to Toyota hybrid technology, it, it sort of brings two notions together, I think, for the consumer, which is value and reliability and just the, the, the notion that I don't have to worry. So that's great. Meanwhile, if you, you know, if you want to take the path toward battery electrics or fuel cells where hydrogen uh, fueling exists, we've got those options as well. And the market's going to evolve over the next few years, and we'll see where it, where it takes us. But uh, it, it's an exciting time. It's a difficult time because I don't think people really understand all of the implications of it quite yet. And it's a complex time because even when we talk about plug-in hybrids, I, I currently track four different jurisdictions that have an impact on us. California, BC, Quebec, the federal government in Canada. And if you can believe it, all of them have different definitions of what a plug-in hybrid is and how you measure it. So behind the scenes, um, you know, we're working on how to make sure that we've got the, the right vehicles deployed for the right customer. Hopefully, you know, we don't have to spend a lot of time worrying customers about that, but just to have the right product so that when they do come to the showroom, it's, it's there and ready to go. I'd like to thank Stephen for taking the time to sit down with us. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.